IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On the show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we answer emails from you, the IndieCast listener. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He is no longer welcome at Boy Genius Concerts. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, what Steve is alluding to is a very online discourse. One of the many that was happening this week. This one particularly about Whew. like uh, Boy Genius Concerts and who's allowed to attend or not attend. Um, uh, I'm like very hesitant to even dive into it. But like I think the one... If, yeah. if you know if if you've been online, you know this one. It's like you know, don't don't bring your boyfriend, don't bring you and your straight boyfriend to the Boy Genius concert. And I think what the like based on the Boy Genius concert I went to uh, about a month back, like I don't where does this leave parents? You know, like like the the parents who are bringing their like uh, fifteen or teenage you know daughter uh, or son or what have you like they they were kind of left out of this discussion we need like a kind of a pta for how to how to properly attend boy genius shows well you're presupposing (laughs) that this uh discourse is rooted in sanity which it is not (laughs) and i just gotta say man you know like on this show i think you and i we, we try to narrow the gap between what we talk about in the dms and texts and what we talk about on the show, because I think people, they listen because they want to hear us hash out the trends, like in an honest, forthright way. However, you know, you can't talk about everything that you talk about in the DMs just for matters of decorum or, you know, professional stability. Um, I just have to say that this week there's going to be a wider gap than I would normally like, <laughs> because this week was a weird week, man. There was like a lot of things going on. A lot of conversations in the indie world, in indie-adjacent world, that frankly were just insane. (laughs) And not rooted in any kind of reality or connection to reality. And it was just like one after another. You know, I don't even know. I don't even know if we should like reference it. Like we referenced the Boy Genius thing. I don't even know if we should even like touch on some of these things. One thing I'm going to say is, and this is like a perpetual conversation that goes on, where you have people talking about the state of music, music criticism. This is like a popular topic. Got to talk about the state of music criticism. What is good music criticism? What is bad music criticism? And I'm going to throw a, uh, you know, a, a disclaimer out here that one of our questions in the mailbag is about music criticism, so I, I could be accused of being a hypocrite here, but I don't think it's the same thing, mm-hmm. where you have people just pontificating <laughs> about, right. you know, who's doing this wrong or who's doing this right, and it just makes me think about how, like, let's say you go to the grocery store, and the person who scans your groceries, they start going into a, a rant about the state of the grocery industry. Would you want to hear that? Probably not. You just want the person to do their job. You know, you don't want to hear about problems with produce or about how the dairy guy isn't as good as the dairy guy back in 
the 2000s. You, know, you don't want to hear that. You just want them to scan your groceries so you can go on your way. And I, I try to follow that with like my job. I feel like people just want you to do your job. You don't want to hear about the state of the music criticism business. So I will reference that discourse because there was a lot of that going on this week. I, I just... I think we should put that to bed. And I'm and I'm including myself in this because I have publicly pontificated about the state of music criticism in the past and I always feel stupid like immediately after I do it. Like why did I do that? It's like you know, it's like the equivalent of drinking too much and uh you know, saying something offensive at a party or something. Like that's how I feel like when I pontificate about this business of ours because <laughs> Really, honestly, who cares? Nobody cares. Well, it's, I mean, we, we care. I mean, but like, as far as like the grocery example, like, I would almost rather people like at Trader Joe's talk about like the supply chain or stuff like that. Cause, you know, better that than like asking, oh, what are you up to today? It's like nine o'clock on a Wednesday. I'm like, I'm probably going to go to work and uh, put these groceries in a refrigerator. Not that like I don't like friendly conversation, but, um, yeah, I mean, like when when all else fails, the state of music writing because I think you know, in contrast to I don't know, like again to use the example of the person at the grocery store, I think that like we as music writers internalize and personalize so much of this because like why else would someone be doing what we do? You know, uh, on average, like if I on average if I like write like a review or like a ten year anniversary piece, like the money's not. Like, the money doesn't make sense, you know? Like, I'm not doing, like, I'm not doing this because, oh, this is a quick and easy way to get money or, like, keep the lights on. It's because, like, we, at, on the whole, like, care way too fucking much about music and about the discussion of it. That's why we do what we do. But, you know, like, it, it, yeah, but this week was just, like, it was, like, every, it was, like, the shadow pod, you know, the one that takes place in the DMs and, like, text messages. It, like comes very, very close to, like, leaking over to the real thing. It's, like, these two realms overlapping. And I'm sure there's, like, a horror movie I could reference, but I'm not, like, very deep on that. But, I mean, and there were, like, big, there were, like, big actual news going on. You know, there was, like, a new Olivia Rodrigo album. There's a new Jeff Rosenstock armed album. There's a Slow Dive album coming out. But for the most part, we got, like, you know, AI, the AI conversations, like, cancel culture stuff about, like, John Mouse. Um, it, it, it was just really, really grim out there. So, I think we... Yeah, why was John Mouse coming up? Uh, like, why, like, were people just bored and, like, oh, let's talk about... John Mouse, yeah. Because the thing with him... Is that he went to January sixth, right? Like that's the thing. No, okay. that's correct. I like think his music and... sucks, but like other, it's like Ariel Pink, but like Ariel Pink at least had like five or so good songs, and you know, God, I, I don't even want to get into that because I mean, there was like a time period. It's like, did you know John Mouch has a PhD in philosophy from uh, the University of Hawaii? This man's a fucking genius. Like, God, the two. <laughs> I, I I don't want to revisit that conversation, but nonetheless, it's like. Why is John Mouse being canceled? He because he showed up to the January sixth, uh, you know, riots. I'm like, yeah, kinda. <laughs> like, well, I mean, that's a that's a pretty well, good. Well, okay, not to uh, I don't want to parse this too much, but like, there was the rally, and then there was the okay. riot. There are two different things. Like, he wasn't like taking a dump on Nancy Pelosi's desk, was uh, he? Like, that's <laughs> you know, that was the guy from that's uh, Bob's like the Burgers, riot part. I think. <laughs> 
Yeah, because, you know, you have a right to show up and uh, to a rally or protest something. But, yeah, if you're storming the Capitol, that's one thing. You know, if if people want to cancel him because he's a Trump supporter, that's something else. So I just want to, you know, I'm going to play his defense attorney oh, in this discourse a little bit. Not that I, I have, I have no feelings about him whatsoever, but I, I just want to straighten that thing out. Um, before we get to our mailbag, um, speaking of weird, stupid things that happened this week, did you listen to the Fallout Boy cover of We Didn't Start the Fire, like where they updated the lyrics to cover everything that's happened since the original Billy Joel song was released in 1989? Did you listen to this I thing? I didn't because, like, it can't possibly live up to the idea I have of this song. And, like, I, I've, like, gone so, I've gone to some, like, really fun places with this because, like, a straight-up, like, hey, what if we do We Didn't Start the Fire, but, like, you know, add it. Apparently there are lyrics about, like, ISIS and, like, My Chemical Romance, The Black Parade. I was, like, just really... First off, I got to thank Fallout Boy because, like... No, you no, don't. No, I, 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 I do right because I feel like... You do not have to gotta hand it to them. I feel all right? like they. I yeah. feel like they were a distraction from like all the uh, minor shitty discourses we named above, and they just like jumped on the grenade. But what I was hoping, no, they added to uh, it. They added to the awfulness. It's not a good distraction. <laughs> Look, my one question with this song is: Is Rivers Cuomo mad that he didn't think of this first? Because this seems like something that Rivers Cuomo would have done, mm. or is this too stupid even for Rivers Cuomo? I'm amazed they didn't like collaborate on that. You know, kind of doing the super. What what was that? The like giant, me- the big mega tour that it was them and Green Day and Fallout Boy, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I what I, I thought it would be funnier if like Fallout Boy instead of doing We Didn't Start the Fire tried to make a Love It If We Made It parody. In, in instead, I mean, would you have like respected it more if they did that? No, <laughs> I wouldn't have. Look, I think we've talked about this before. I've gone on a Fallout Boy rant uh, in a previous episode, but I I just feel like we have to revive the worst band of the last twenty years conversation because you know you you have a band like Nickelback right. that gets so much grief, or like Imagine Dragons is a big target. Fall Out Boy, to me, is worse than either one of those bands. I would listen to Radioactive or, uh, you know, How You Remind Me. Great song. Over any Fall Out Boy song. Centuries? Yeah. That song is a million times more obnoxious than any song by Imagine Dragons or Nickelback. It, I looked it up. It has over a billion streams. And I feel like 900 million of those are at, like, basketball arenas. <laughs> You know, like it's such a jock jam, but they're awful. I hate Fall Out Boy. Yeah. I hate them. I'm gonna say hate with Fall Out Boy. Patrick Stump's voice, awful, awful stuff. And they do this thing. Look, I'm a Billy Joel fan. I'm not really a fan of We Didn't Start the Fire, although I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's a, a. I think of it as like a kitschy song. It's for like the channel. Friday I'm in love of Billy Joel's like. Ah, uh, don't. <laughs> Pretty, I'm in love. No, it's a, it's a great song, song but it's like uh, I, I was really hoping you were gonna pivot. It's like, nah, man. Like you, you got to put that hit song aside. There's a really deep, interesting catalog here that all these new. I, I would be open for that Billy Joel type argument. I mean, you know, would I like it more if Fall Out Boy did a parody of Captain Jack Ooh. or scenes from an Italian restaurant? Uh, no, I probably God, would hate it. that too. Um, 
I can't remember if you defended Fall Out Boy. I you didn't. Know, like, I, I like once, I like one song, uh, Thanks for the Memories. And I think that, like, when you're talking about the difference between them and, like, Imagine Dragons or, you know, Maroon 5 or whatever, like, I think the fact that, like, Fall Out Boy could, like, conceivably be taken seriously is at least, like, part of, like, a timeline and a movement. Like, they were, like, a cultural phenomenon. Uh, in a way that like Nickelback and Imagine Drag, like those those two bands, they just make hit songs. Like there's nothing, there there's like nothing more to it. But whereas like Fallout Boy, uh, you know, people kind of create an identity around having like that at some point, and so I think they're a little more pernicious because you know when they do something like this, it competes with what I think are like pretty you know pretty important, um, pretty influential songs it's like you know kind of with like weezer like i would weezer wouldn't bother me as much if like you know the blue album and pinkerton weren't such important albums you know for me at one point yeah i mean i i can see that follow-up boys early stuff is uh important in the scene that they come from but i just feel like their later career is so egregiously obnoxious that it you know I guess it's worse than Weezer to me because nothing that Fall Out Boy has done it means anything to me, like as much as like early Weezer stuff does. Uh, to me, it's, I mean, I don't care about their early stuff. I, I understand that it's important for the people who love it, but I don't personally, I don't personally care about it at all. And it's only the later stuff that I'm emotionally involved in, <laughs> and the emotion is strong irritation. And I used the word hate before. I'm regretting that because I think that's a little too strong. But I, it's very close to hate. It's definitely music hate. You know, like how you have sports fan hate. Like you say, I hate this athlete. Mm-hmm. You don't really hate them, but you sports fan hate them. <laughs> I have music fan hate for Fall Out Boy. I think more than any other band. I think they are my most hated band of the last 20 years. Like, do you have a most hated band of the last 20 years? Um, Maybe we're going to talk about them in a bit (laughs) in our mailbag. I mean, that's up there. Like, I don't think about the band that we're going to talk about enough to like truly say I hate them. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure they, I'm sure I do, but I, yeah, we'll get to it. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's other than the band we're going to talk about, like, is there another band that you say like, that's my most hated band of the last 20 years? Well, Oh gosh, I'm like just thinking of the the only time someone threatened to like kick my ass for a music opinion in public is because I said that Sublime might not be the best band of the '90s. Um, I heard what I got in uh in an ice cream shop the other day, and like I fucking hate that song so fucking much. Like not even it's like awful. the joke part where the guy's like, you know, like I think I saw a tweet it's like. He says, I can play the guitar like a motherfucking riot and then plays like the worst guitar solo you've ever heard. Like when people say like, hey, what do you what do you hate about this song? And it's just like, it is so hard for me to like talk about that without like just throwing the entire city of San Diego into the uh, Pacific Ocean. So I think the less said, the better about that. But like Sublime is kind of up there. I mean, he sings... I can play the guitar like a motherfucking riot. Yeah. And then later in the song, he says, uh, don't start a riot. Like he does the <laughs> yeah. uh, the Jamaican patois there. Yeah, that, that's like the... So he says riot twice in that song, but differently <laughs> both times. Yeah, it, there's a lot of shading in the meeting there. 
I don't hate Sublime. I'm not a fan, but like I do have memories of hearing them all the time in the mid '90s. Right. Usually in the context of smoking weed. So Sublime, I don't Sublime know. as a whole, maybe not so much, but like that one song. Yeah, that one. Song. Yeah, I'm with you on that yeah. one. I'm with you on that one. Um, <laughs> let's get to our mailbag. We have a big mailbag here. We had a lot of emails from, like from the past month. Uh, just trying to catch up with them. Thank you all for writing in, by the way. It's always great to hear from our listeners. You can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Uh, I'm going to say this, too. We haven't made a call for uh, ratings and reviews in a while. If you like the show, give us a good rating Yeah. Uh, wherever you listen to pods. Uh, I guess that only really pertains to uh, Apple, Apple Pods. Yeah. I don't know if you can rate anywhere else. Or it doesn't really matter. Like, if you're on Stitcher <laughs> and you leave us a review, it doesn't really matter. Like, there's probably like 11 reviews on there. But if you can give us, if you're on Apple Pods, if you can give us, hit us with a five star. Yeah, don't don't go with this, like, gentleman's, like, 8.0 emo best new music thing. You got to go all right. five. Yeah, don't be, like, don't be overly cute about it. Like, well, you know. That's 7.8. I bet Ian would appreciate that. Right. <laughs> I'll give him a four because I would only give a five if like Jesus Christ and John Lennon did a podcast. Like that would be a five. That'd be boring as shit. But what would they? What would those two have to talk about? They could debate about who's bigger. Yeah, good point. Because John Lennon said we're bigger. You, you than got Jesus. me there. <laughs> Jesus can be like, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, leave us a rating or review if you can. That'd be great. Okay, so let's get to our first letter here. Uh, this is from Ben in Philadelphia. Go Birds. The quintessential indie cast uh, mailbag person. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Do you want to read this I do. one? Uh, so, hi, Stephen Ian. I work as a coffee roaster. Mm. Quint- quintessential. Nice. Uh, which means that... Yeah, like, do you, do you think Ben is talking to people about the coffee industry? Do you think he's I, like... Almost certainly. You know, you think he's like, hey, wait a second. I know you got your cappuccino there or whatever, but let me tell you about the coffee roasting business. Yeah. It's... You know, they're laying people off all the time. You know, you can't get a good job. He's not doing he, that. Uh, he's he's focusing on the craft. I think so, but I mean, the fact that he calls himself a coffee roaster means that he does take this like very seriously, kind of artisanal. And you know, he's like right. like me when like people say, "Oh, you're a blogger." I'm like, "No, I'm a fucking music writer. I'm a music journalist." Yeah. So, <laughs> and it's good that he takes it seriously, yeah. but he's not. Forcing that on the people is what maybe, I'm saying. Maybe like, we just need among... a reverse mailbag. Like we need to ask questions of our audience. <laughs> we need to switch it up. I think when Ben gets together with other copy roasters, they're 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 chopping it up about the business. You know, yeah. they're 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 voicing their complaints, which is what you do. But like when he's in the shop, he's not laying that on the on the customer. <laughs> he's he wants the customer to be happy. Right. That's what I'm saying. You don't want you don't want to you don't want to lay a bum trip on the customer is is my point. Word. Anyway, <laughs> so ben, anyway, ben, ben coffee roaster, uh, which means that even though I love coffee and know more about it than a normal person ever should, I have a lot of trouble simply enjoying a cup of coffee in the morning because I struggle to separate myself from the analytical tasting skills I use at work. Inspired by Steve's frequent tweets about perfect patio albums, I decided over the weekend to take my coffee out into my back patio. While I read a book and found myself finally relaxing my critical approach and appreciating the simple pleasure of a nice cup of coffee. Uh, there you go. There you go, Ben. Not reading my Loved tweets. Uh, Love to see <laughs> that, man. Enjoying the patio in the summertime. It's beautiful. Uh, so my question for you guys today is this. Do you find that your involvement in the music critic world occasionally clouds your ability to enjoy an album? 
And how do you reset yourself when that happens? Are there any specific scenarios where you put yourself into the quiet, where you can quiet the analytical part of your brain when listening to a record? I think we got to toss this to the actual patio guy to answer this question. So this is a great question. And uh, thank you, Ben, for writing in. Um, a few things here. Um, just to answer the question, yeah, I can do that. I can, I can listen to music as a fan, and I can listen to it as a critic. I, I, I have never had that problem, and I think it's because it's important for me to protect that part of myself. Whenever I'm done with work, like during the day, I'm usually listening to whatever new album I'm writing about. So that'll just be on all day long. And then when I get done working, you know, I've got the music that I'm into sort of just as a fan right now, you know, and I'll listen to that stuff. And it's a very easy thing for me to go back and forth. And I think it's good to do that because it keeps the fan part of you, you know, thriving. And it also, I think, make sure you don't get burned out as a, as a critic, you know, like you, you want to keep that fresh as well. The other thing I would say is that you know, one of the reasons I wanted to become a music critic was because I like thinking about music. Like, I, the analytical part is actually part of the enjoyment for me. And I would be analyzing this stuff even if I wasn't doing it professionally. So the fact that I was able to, like, get, find a way to, get, to make a living doing it uh, was really lucky, and I'm very grateful for that. But, like, that's always been part of me as a fan, like, thinking about stuff, and I just think it's fun. Like, it, it, it comes from a place of fun. And the last thing I would say is that, you know, you're framing this question as, does the critic part of you, like, interfere with the fan part? For me, I make a big effort to kind of go the opposite way, where, like, in my professional life, I try to think like a critic, but I try to write like a fan. You know, one thing I don't like about music writing is when it gets overly academic, mm -hmm and dry and it doesn't have that sort of authentic passionate voice to it that i think is like the worst kind of music writing so i, I try really hard not to fall into that trap of just regurgitating the same cliches that all music writers use and talking about music in a way that feels more authentic to like what we do on the show where it just feels like people talking you know like that is what i aspire to in my writing so really it's not so much like the critic interfering with the fan it's like i'm kind of trying to infuse the fan always into what i do professionally i don't know if that makes sense to you i don't know if you relate to that ian for you like is, is this a balance because like for me honestly it's not that hard okay. i i feel like i can i maybe i've just done it for so long i can do it I just feel like they work in tandem yeah. in my own brain. Yeah, I think that like there needs to be a distinction made here between like being a thinker about music because like I I have been doing that my entire life. Even like prior to like having a blog or whatever, like you know, I, I would hear music and like think of it from a critical perspective because you know, I read Spin, I read Rolling Stone, I did all of that stuff. But then there's like the I guess music journalist thing where I think and I guess this, like one of the, I think one of the main differences we pointed out is that, you know, I am frequently reliant on like editors and other people and like whatnot to get my stuff published. I think you have like a bit more autonomy than I do. And that part can be really hard to shut off. Like where I'm thinking about, I'm hearing something like, oh, can I pitch this? Or what are other people saying? And gosh, it is so hard for me to like turn that part off. Like I try... Apart, like sometimes I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go kind of silent mode, get off uh, music Twitter for like a week or so. But 
the voice, I can still kind of hear the voices of like, I know what people are saying about it. And I'm like preemptively getting annoyed by stuff I haven't read yet, but I'm sure is going on. And I know that's like a personal thing. But, you know, when I'm finding myself like overrun by that, um, I, the reset I do is go back and listen to music from like, say, 1999 or 2000 from like before I started writing you know, music in a, um, in a professional sense. Um, like yesterday I was stuck in traffic on the way home and I'm like, for some reason, I just feel like listening to Utopia Parkway by Fountains of Wayne, which is like the, like, it's not considered an essential album on Apple music, the self-titled and uh, welcome interstate managers are. And, you know, despite the fact that like I hear this now, I'm like, this is super corny. Like, uh, there, there's just so much that like, I probably wouldn't be able to enjoy about it if I heard it now, but my memories of hearing that album in 1999 just override any sort of critical impulse. And I feel that like, when it comes to like a refreshing sort of, uh, like a refresher to get myself back in my mind, like get in the right mindset, I just go back to the old shit. Like the stuff I listened to as an 18 year old, or a 19-year-old when I bought like 50 albums a year tops. And it didn't matter if there were like one or two corny ass songs. I feel like I can like I can access what it was like to be that person then. And it's just straight up enjoyable. Like I'm not listening to Utopia Parkway all the way through. Uh I'm you know fast forwarding through Go Hippie. But like the fact that there's like a couple of skips, that doesn't bother me, which is really weird because like I bought that album for like 15 bucks. You would think I want to want to maximize my investment. So, um, yeah, but there were probably I think there's like 14 songs on that yeah. album, though. So like, you know, they're, they're, they're giving you a, like a pretty big feast. Red Dragon Tattoo, that's on that yeah, record. Yeah, right? that guy I from Corn. Like yeah, I, he looks a little bit more like Jonathan Davis, I guess. Or was it Fieldy? I man, I really wish I had the opportunity to ask uh, him that question before he passed. R.I.P. Adam Schlesinger. Yeah, that, that that's definitely like the the one question that is burning <laughs> for all of us with him. You know, I think you know, listening to what you're saying, you're talking about ninety nine two thousand. The other thing about that is that this is like pre social right. media, and I think that changes how we listen to music. And that isn't necessarily because of being a music critic. It, 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 we're just inundated with more opinions now. Like, I remember when I first went online, how refreshing it was to read the opinions of strangers. Like, we're not professional oh, critics. Oh, just, like, regular people. And, because uh, it was novel. And, of course, now, as we were saying earlier, like, you you want to get away from other people's opinions. It's like, they're just, they're just everywhere, and they're awful. And, like, you, you, it's like, I don't want this in my head. And I think... What you were talking about of like, you know, letting other people kind of poison your feelings about a record. I think that would happen anyway if you weren't a critic. It's just that you wouldn't have an opportunity to voice your own opinion like on a sizable platform. You know, like at least you can get your feelings out now. If you, in the alternate universe, like where you're not a music critic, you'd just be seething online (laughs) reading all this terrible opinions. And like in this scenario, Pitchfork never ends up covering emo either. So, like, there's no emo revival on Pitchfork in the last 10 years unless there's, like, an Ian Cohen-like person (laughs) in this universe, which I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, is this a state of music criticism conversation, by the way? I don't don't think it is. We're not talking about the industry. We're just talking about our approach. So, So, I am banging the gavel 
that we are not hypocrites yeah. by talking about this. And this was something someone asked us anyway. Yeah. So they invited us to talk yeah, about but it. But I think it was I think right. it was funny that like he mentions being a coffee roaster and that ruining stuff. Like the one time I ate the least amount of ice cream in my life is when I worked at Ben and Jerry's. So it's a, I, you just never forget the smell of like having that ice cream mix with like the cleaning fluid. Like no amount of Febreze gets that out. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, let's get to our next letter. Uh, this comes from Matt in Missoula, Montana. Ooh. That's three M's right there. Um, it's kind of a long letter, but it's an interesting one. So I'll read it. Hey, Stephen and Ian, thank you for all the time and work you put into these pods each week. Actually, not much work <laughs> goes into these pods. I think no, that's we, pretty to keep We got to keep the aura going. I'm sorry. It's like literally 20 hours a week of prep, another 15 hours of recording. Like we're re-recording. Yeah, we're it's like a Steely Dan album. We're bringing in Wayne Shorter to do a, do a little sax solo <laughs> in the middle of the pod. Uh, anyway, love listening to you guys. Thank you, Matt. As a former artist manager for an act you've mentioned a lot on here, mm. really, and who worked for and with record labels in the past, I was curious what you guys think about labels in 2023. Do you think this is like Guy Osery, and he's talking about you too here? Do you think that's who <laughs> yeah. this is? Or uh... Uh, yeah, hey, look, man, if if it is like you know, quote unquote, Matt, like yeah, let's let's get let's get the edge on here. Let's chop it up. All right, yeah, I'm gonna assume this is Guy. Okay, uh, they don't seem to be mentioned as much in the discourse talking about record labels on your pods and elsewhere surrounding bands and new releases. Yet I do think they still hold significant weight, mostly in the background when it comes to the state of music. When we signed my band to Domino, after building a cult-like following, they reached much larger audiences, landed big collaborators and opportunities, and the added financial support made things much easier overall in the music. Uh, it made things easier overall, and the music kept getting stronger and stronger. Domino or any of the other big indies, like the Secretly Group or Beggars, labels really do support and value artistic integrity despite what some people might think i also think that the role of a good anr person is severely underrated and likely never part of the conversation when talking about an artist's vision hmm. aside from my role <laughs> aside from the role they play in developing artists i also find them to be trusted sources for new music and i don't feel like they get enough credit as curators uh this leads to my main question how much do indie record labels matter to you both especially in a year like this one do they create any biases when reviewing or listening to new releases do they still help to validate artists or has that meaning shifted to more of a utility or resource for artists and their teams would love to hear your thoughts on this that's matt in missoula montana so asking what do we think about record labels do we think that they're important? Well, you know, the first thing I think of, you know, in terms of like the way labels are talked about, like it kind of goes back and forth to no labels are important. It's like, no, you should never sign with a label. Like you should be able to do anything yourself. Like labels are useless. And, you know, before we talk about labels, I want to talk about toilets um, <laughs> just because there's like a toilet that needs to get fixed in our house. And I could totally like, you know, find a valve, watch YouTube videos and, you know, replace it myself, or I could, you know, actually hire a plumber uh, who's going to make sure it's done right. They're probably going to overcharge me, but nothing's going to explode in my house. And, you know, I, I bring that up because so much of the la- what I see about labels, uh, the way they're talked about, is like they're a service. Like, I think about like what it's like to be a musician and like to make music and like how annoying it must be to like send out emails about like PR or what have you. And, um, 
I, I think it's worth reiterating because like so many, the worst people in the DIY discourse act like if you have, if you ask for help from a label or a PR person, you're like going to Ian McKay's house and like wiping your ass with a vinyl cover of repeater. Um, yeah. it's <laughs> Which would hurt. Yeah, by the way, it really would. would. I wish there was a, or maybe like, a, I would say a Fugazi t-shirt, but I don't think they really made t-shirts. I think that was like their whole deal. So not the best metaphor, right. but like y- you get the idea. But yeah, I think like, when when I think of labels in that regard, I'm like more amenable to thinking about what they do because like so much of the discourse talks about like how, you know, they're evil and they take money and like it should be DIY or die. Uh, there's it, it just making music and like putting it out in the world are like two completely different skill sets. And boy, I'm sure you've interviewed people who should not be doing their own PR or like keeping their own accounting. But, you know, otherwise, like, do labels still matter in 2023? Absolutely. Like, you know, places like, say, like Top Shelf or Saddle Creek, you know, they've built up a lot of goodwill with me over the years. And so I'm going to give bands they sign, you know, more attention than I would from, you know, kind of similar labels. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna put more, like, if I don't really like or if it doesn't connect with me on the first list, I'm still going to give it a shot because I've learned to trust them. So... Uh, yeah, I think they still la- matter, but like not in the same way of like, you know, an aura that they might have had when I was just kind of learning about the industry in like the 2000s. And um, yeah, they, they matter on several ends. But like, I don't I, I think that there's like a middle ground rather than like, li- like, you don't matter unless you sign to a label or conversely, like, no, never sign to a label. Always do it yourself. I just want to go back to your toilet analogy because that reminds me of like uh, Colin Cowherd always does that. Like he always like makes an analogy <laughs> to like the real world. We're talking about sports. It's like yeah, if you if you own a business, you you know you want to pay your employees right, and that explains uh, you know John Morant bringing a gun <laughs> to the strip club, yeah, you know, or whatever, something like that. He does that a lot. Um, I can't really speak to whether labels matter to bands because I'm not in a band. I'm not in that world. I. You, like all the things you say, I think are correct. I mean, in terms of just having a support network. Uh, also, Matt talks about all the things that a label can do. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's right. But for me, as a listener, I don't really care about record labels at this point. I, I, I you know, you mentioned like top shelf labels like that. I think they can matter when you have a, a label that's associated with a certain kind of music. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're like a dominant label in that scene in the way that like Top Shelf is in like the emo world. Like that I think does matter. But for the most part, I can't say that there's a label right now where if I get a promo from them, I feel like this is definitely going to be good. Uh, For the most part, I don't really pay attention to that. And, you know, it reminds me in a way of the conversation we had recently about regionalism in indie music, mm-hmm. you know, the, the in the old days where you had particular cities that were known for certain kinds of music uh, and how that isn't as common anymore. I mean, we had Philadelphia in the 2010s, which I think was associated with a certain kind of like guitar rock music. Mm-hmm. I, you, you could maybe use them as an example, although that feels a little bit like runoff from New York being overpriced you had like a lot of bands who went to philly because it was like discount new york <laughs> um but i feel like it's a similar thing with labels where you know what in the same way it doesn't seem like it matters like what town you're from anymore as much i don't know if the label 
matters as much as as like a sign of quality to like in the way that you would talk about SST or right. sub pop labels like that where that was like a sensibility like I don't know if there's are a lot of labels now that have like a sensibility mm-hmm. that you could define okay let's move on to our next letter here and uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a good one uh, it's a year nay it comes from Jeff in Enfield Connecticut very simple, yay or nay, art brute. The aughts era, talky, post-punk band, very snarky. Yay or nay, Ian, on art brute. Like, Jeff has to know what he's getting into with this one. Like, why would, why else would anyone talk about art brute in the year fucking 2023? And this is like an apps, usually I try to see both sides. It's a dialectic, as they say in my in real life line of work, but... Art Brute, like, sometimes you gotta take a stand, and this is an app, unequivocally, absolutely the fuck not. Like, I fucking hate that, oh, I fucking hate this, this, I don't know, maybe they got better after that one from 2005, which, by the way, 2005, we've talked about this, you know, as far back as, like, Celebration Rock, that pod, you know, your previous podcast, one of the best years of one of the best years for indie rock in recent memory, um, maybe of the entire de- century. But this this album was like number th- it was like number three or number four on Pitchfork's best of list. I fucking hate this band so much, and maybe they got better after that one. But like, I I almost like don't even want to continue to talk about it because. Oh, 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 I have some follow-up okay, questions fine. for you. I, 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 want, I want to plumb these depths a little bit, but just for people who may not remember, Art Brute, their big record from, was it 05 or 06? It was 05. It was definitely 05. Uh, the record was called Bang Bang Rock and Roll, and the only song I remember from that album is Formed a Band, which I believe yes. is the first song. And, you know, they were part of that, like, self-aware uh, strain of indie music that was popular at the time. Uh, you could group the Hold Steady in there, I think, as an mm-hmm. example of that. LCD Sound System would be another example of that, where it's like these middle-aged, or I don't know if they're middle-aged, probably like guys in their 30s. who <laughs> They were like probably like 29, and we thought they were middle-aged. <laughs> uh, but, you know, kind of, you know, like smart white guys who know a lot about music, and like they're talking about it in their lyrics, in a semi-ironic kind of way, um, especially early Hold Steady, I feel like people forget that like Almost Killed Me is mm-hmm. like a much snarkier record than like later on. Like they became more earnest, starting with Separation Sunday. But like Almost Killed Me, there is an element to that record where it's it feels like it's having fun with like arena rock cliches and. In the same way that like LCD sound system with losing my edge, doing something similar with with punk and post punk music, and then you have Art Brute, who I think you could say is like the midpoint maybe between the Hold Steady and LCD sound system. You know, they feel hmm. like they have like there's like a little bit of bo- elements of both of those bands in Art Brute. Got an eight point nine from Pitchfork review written by my friend Rob Mitchum and. In a way, you're adversary. I feel like you and Rob are like adversaries in terms of like what you liked in the aughts. Yeah, Rob, Rob Mitchum was like part of that group of people who are still around to this day who like were were like just 
just terribly mocking like Pedro the Lion and like Jimmy World album. Yeah, but he, he but yeah, he said like he liked emo more than like a lot of those people. Anyway, I'm not gonna get in the middle of that. Um, Art Brute though, because I, I I was ripping on Fall Out Boy before, and I was saying that the most hated band for me of the last twenty years, and you were like. You, know, you, you talked about Sublime, but like Art Brute, they got to be your most hated band of the last twenty years, right? Uh, you know, if I think hard enough, I could probably come up with a better thing, like a better option, because like Art Brute is a band that I don't have to think about like ever, unless we're going into some rem- like remembering some guys type memory hole. Like you know, they they existed. They happened before I was really involved in, like, the music writing world. And then they had the decency to go the fuck away, like, almost immediately. I know they made more records. But, you know, just when I think about, like, the qualities of music I dislike. Like, Sublime, I kind of get it. It's, like, made for... Look, I live in San Diego. I know, like, it does things for people. Like, a large number of people. But Art Brute, to me, you mentioned Hold Steady and LCD Sound System. Bands, you know, despite what I've said on this podcast, I find things to like about them, you know? some hold, I like some Hold Steady songs, and at the end, they got riffs. LCD Sound System, I think the first two records are amazing, uh, even if I don't kind of vibe with, you know, the mindset. But, like, Art Brute is just, like, a straight-up by-critics, for-critics sort of affair. It takes, like you know, the talky post-punk sort of thing, but also this kind of snarky academic, like, you know, most of, like, the music critic who will, like, corner you at Pitchfork Fest to talk about television personalities or whatever. (laughs) Um, And there's, like, there are a few things worse than, um, you know, bands who, like, approach music from, like, we're funny uh, because it's, like, very hard to do and it's a very hard quality to maintain, especially if they think they're, like, clever and I see this stuff trickle down and stuff nowadays. Like, I think the closest descendant we have to this band is like Cheek Face or something like that, which oh, I man. won't say any more about we that. We haven't talked but... about that band on this show. Maybe we'll table that yes, for another that, episode. Yeah, we will, we, we, we will table that's that a band. One, that, but, that, uh... That's a DM's conversation band for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a definitely we read, we we search ourselves on twitter band so i'm gonna hold off on that but yeah this is just like a this is like a isolated phenomenon um and look i don't doubt that the people it was made for like this band i don't think there was anything like you know i i I know that like sometimes people like stuff for like clout or whatever like for the wrong reasons like i don't doubt for a second that the people who really connected with our boot really connect with it but like Oh my fucking god! Like this, this, this band just like takes everything I dislike. Not about like pop music, but about like being a music critic, and just combines them into this one noxious little like black hole of annoying music critic cliches, like bands for music critics, and <sighs> yeah, Rob, Rob, man, like uh, I guess this is how you must have felt. Uh, reviewing Pedro the Lion's Achilles heel, I, you know? <laughs> I'd be surprised if Rob has heard this record in the last 10 years. And maybe even 15 years. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's, like, fucking around listening to, like, modern... I remember that song, like, Modern Art makes me want to rock out. That's, like, the one song I remember besides We Formed the Band. Uh, there is a Art Brute album from 2018 called Wham! Bang! Pow! Let's Rock Out! Four exclamation points in that title. Uh, 
So I literally want to end the podcast right now because I kind of want to die. Uh, but you can tell from that album title that they're mining similar uh, material on that record um, as they did on Bang Bang Rock and Roll. Um, I just like wanted to hear you rant about that band. So I, I didn't even feel... I don't feel that compelled to like <laughs> offer my own take on this group. I mean, what, 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 I need to know what you think. I mean, yeah or nay. I'm yeah. gonna push. I'm gonna neak this oh, one. God, because I really don't have an opinion on this band. Like okay, they were. Okay. I remember them being really big uh, in critical circles in '05, and it wasn't just Pitchfork. I mean, th- there were a lot of places that liked this band. And really, 2005 was maybe the last year that a band like that could have like the number three critically adored record of the year i mean it seems very much a product of like the last stand of a certain kind of music critic Absolutely. which honestly like broadly speaking like you and i are in that class even though we're not maybe a fan of art brute but like we'd be in that- by the way this guy is like 43 this guy's my age eddie argos yeah. Okay, so he would have been yeah, mid mid twenties, I guess, then or like when... like twenty he would have been twenty five years old. Like he is like literally like a couple months older than I am. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we talk about how there's certain artists now who seem critically adored because music writers feel like, Oh, that could be me or that could be my friend. Yes. That was the equivalent in two thousand five. Art Brute was like, Oh, if oh, I absolutely. if I had a band as a music writer, like I could be an art brute. Like that seems approachable to me because they're not that musical. The guy can't really sing, but he has opinions, and he's, you know, he could think of funny lines or lines yeah. that he thinks God, are funny. Just, uh, just look at this guy. Just Google image search. It's almost like he looks like he he looks like he was forty three, but like in two thousand five, and there's almost like a. It's like a Jason Schwartzman type trying to play like someone in Fallout Boy. I don't know, man. Like I'm just getting, uh, <laughs> I, I, I get this. This should probably be like addressed in, in therapy. Like how much I hate this fucking band. I love it. It just reminds, just because it reminds me of like the worst parts of like being a music writer, which is what I am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love your hate. I love your hate for Art Brute. It's great. Thank you for. Uh... That was a great year, Nay Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> I think he was. I, I I hope that Jeff was teeing you up with that. I, I'm hoping that he saw a tweet from you and he's like, "I just I'm gonna tee Ian up to talk about Art Brood." <laughs> uh, let's get to. I think this is gonna be our last letter. We had another yeah. letter. We'll we'll hold that over for next week. Um, you want to read this letter? Yeah. So this one's coming from Arye in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. Which nice Teaneck. Fuck yes. Love it. T-Neck, New Jersey. Great. Great name. Uh, as, a, as a concert tee collector, what's your take on buying merch at shows, specifically t-shirts? When do you get them? When don't you? What are the qualifiers of a great concert shirt and what makes a bad tee? Personally, my faves have a front and back design. No skimping on front only. Back should ideally have tour dates. Front design should feel intricate and epic. No lazy single small image like an REM monster tour shirt. Okay, REA is definitely one of our fucking people. Yeah. Like I I think I think like we should we should absolutely have like a monster episode because that was just such a formative experience for I think so many people of our oh age. Oh my like, god. Buying it, seeing that I saw that tour, Grantley Buffalo opened. Good times. Yeah, I saw that too, or Luscious Jackson was my <laughs> opener. Just missed Radiohead. I think oh, right, I think they right. I think they uh, either got on the tour or left the tour like right before my show, but that would have been Ben's era, 
Radiohead. That would have been pretty incredible. Uh, great letter. Great question. I love that he's from Teaneck and he's asking about T-shirts. Hmm. You know, there's like if a... He was from yeah, v, V-shirt, V-neck, T-neck. Ah, ah, right. Love it. Love it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with uh, Arya here in terms of like T-shirt design. Like I used to buy concert t-shirts all the time like in my 20s and 30s i feel like most of the shows i went to i would buy a shirt and uh the result of that is that concert t-shirts like make up the bulk of my wardrobe like to Mm. a degree that's kind of embarrassing like i i actually haven't (laughs) bought many concert t-shirts lately i think in part because i have so many and i have so many shirts from bands that i don't really like anymore uh you got you got to you got to elaborate on that. Well, okay. I mean, I don't want to pick on a band here. Okay. There's fine. one band right. in particular where I love the shirt and I love this band in the aughts, but I don't really like them anymore, but I still like the shirt, but I feel weird wearing the shirt because it's like it's brand new, isn't it? It's Ockerville River. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a really cool Ockerville. And you know, no, no shots at Ockerville River, Black Sheep Boy, stage names like that era. Yeah. I was on board and then I I, I drifted away after that. Um, but it's a nice shirt, but you feel like if you're wearing the shirt, you're endorsing the band. So I feel a bit right. like a phony if I'm not really on board. And there's always that chance that you're going to be out and they'll be like, oh, Ockerville River, did you buy their latest record? And I got to be like, I know, I haven't listened to them in like 15 years, but I like the shirt. Like, oh, really? You're, you're Will that guy. Chef's last album was actually really I good. know you did a profile of him for that yeah. record. Um, anyway. See, it's happening right now. See, you're, I'm getting pressure <laughs> to get back on board. Um but I'm with uh, I'm with REA here. I think a problem, another problem why I haven't bought a lot of concert shirts lately is that too many bands they're they're way too cute with their shirts. Mm. Like they're throwing like a animal head on there, you know, like a chicken head or something, and there's like a weird font. You know, there's all this like abstract imagery going on. It's like the band's friend who has a passion for graphic design, you know, <laughs> they're coming in and and you can't even tell like who the band is. And it's like, let's just simplify. Throw the album cover on the front. Band clearly identified across the chest. Two or dates on the back. It's a simple formula. It's basic. But that's what I want from the concert shirt. You know, simple design. Doesn't have to be the album cover, but something simple. Band name clearly identified. And I, I, I love the tour dates on the back, and I like the date. Like, say, the, you know, such-and-such such tour, 2023. So then, like, when you're wearing the shirt in 10 years, it's like, oh, this is like a marker in time. Like, that's a cool thing. Don't just throw up some abstract thing that's like a chicken playing video games and, like, death metal font. And it's like, what, right. what the hell is this? Like, you're overthinking it. Just give us a simple tour t-shirt, man. Like, that's what I want. Well, uh, you know, I, I love how like part of this question is like, what's your take on buying merch at shows? Like, I I, I don't want to you know assume things from you, but yeah, we're we're generally in favor of, of buying course. merch. Like, I, of course, even if it is like that, you know, chicken head playing video games with the death metal font, like fucking buy it. Like, give bands money. But I know, but like, um, I'm just saying, yeah. come on, give me like do like one basic option and one right. You know, your friend who has a passion for graphic design. Give him an option too, but one for the studio, one for yourself. Exactly, exactly. One, one basic one. So, you know, as far as this goes, like there, there's a difference between like the concert shirt and band shirts. Like 
the ones that like have the tour dates, I, I don't know if I've ever bought one of those oh, because you know most of the bands I like probably you know they either don't make them or it just kind of it, it doesn't make sense for me to like wear a Joyce Manor, let's say twenty twenty three U.S. tour T shirt, and I also think. Unless we're talking about like, you know, an era's tour or like, you know, Coachella where it's got all the bands listed. I think those shirts, unless you're like you're like a pop fan, like you don't want to wear those for like the next 10 years. Like you want to like buy it and have it appreciate like a fine wine. But this conversation gets me think of like how few band shirts I've actually bought in my adult life. Like the and when I do buy them. They ha- they're like almost like band flavored graphic t shirts. They're like uh, as a matter of fact, if you can't tell what band it is, the better. The ones that what? I've thought. Like, oh, so we're we're diametrically opposed then. On this. Yeah, the the shirts I bought, like the ones I can recall, there was one really really great one that I had from the band Women. Like that great band. Remember some guys like classics and. It said, like, in really, really small font, like, women, barely legible, but, like, the graphic design was cool. I also, one of my favorite band shirts was, I think in, like, it was Pitchfork Fest 2010, there was, like, a huge rainstorm, and so I bought a Bear in Heaven t-shirt to replace the one I was wearing, which was soaked. It had the uh, Beast Rest Fourth Mouth cover album on it. Great record, by the way. Um, And the only one I currently have is from Algernon Cadrillotter. I bought it at the reunion show. It's kind of, it's got like the band's name, but like in this very distressed, like abstract design. So you can't really, you'd have to ask who it was if you didn't know the band. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of, uh, not to get all Colin Coward on you, but um, wearing band t-shirts, and I think you alluded to this with Ockerville River. It's like, I never really wore like sports jerseys either. Like not ones where it said Cohen on the back, nor I don't know, whoever would have been in like Randall Cunningham or whatever, just something Something about like wearing another person on a shirt never really sat right with me, but which is ironic because like I have like numerous tattoos of like album covers, so I don't know what it is about like wearing a t shirt that makes me feel more uncomfortable than like literally having the American Football House permanently etched on my arm. Yeah, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. (laughs) The the thing that you take off at the end of the day that is somehow. Uh, feels weird that you're like representing a person, but you're literally putting it on your body. That isn't weird. Yeah. That seems more extreme to me, but that's just me. I don't know, man. I just want more. I I think that would actually be cool if you had like an indie band who was maybe only doing like a five day tour, but like you had like <laughs> or, like a ten day tour, but then like on the back you had the tour dates and it said like World Tour yeah. twenty twenty three, yeah. and you international the tour where it's like one Canada date. It'd be great. I mean, yeah, I I love that kind of stuff, and I think that if you're in like the the jam community or you're you're in the metal community, like those two communities are like so merch, uh, you know it. Like, merch is so important in those scenes like you go to shows and like people are wearing like the tour shirt from like 10 years ago because like they're representing right. like hey i've been in this for a while man i'm not just like some johnny come lately i you know I, I saw them back in the day or i saw them back in the 90s you know like and i think that's maybe the mindset that i come from i actually like that i think that's pretty cool because it does it, it, it's just a marker in time i i think the date on the shirt is very important and not enough bands do that. The whole abstract thing, I'm not a fan of. Or at least 
that being the only option, I feel like that's often the only, like you have like three shirts and they're all kind of well, kind of wacky. Need one for the basics. One for the basics mm-hmm. out there, man. We want those shirts. We now reach the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so I've mentioned this on Twitter a few times, but uh, this uh, today, a band called Loma Prieta is putting out an album called Last. It's their first since 2015. Um, And how would I describe them? Um, You know, they could probably tour with metal bands. They could probably tour with post-hardcore bands. Um, They're on Death Wish Inc. If we're talking about, like, the importance of labels, uh, I think that one's super important because if I had to do a recommended if you like for this band, it's like, Bands on Death Wish, you know, and that includes, you know, whether we're talking about like Converge or whether we're talking about like Greet Death. Um, But this is a band kind of working in a, for lack of a better term, if you like Sunbather, another album that was released on Death Wish, you'll probably be into that. Um, This is a little more from like a post-hardcore, but like there's an occasional piano on there. Um, They're not nine-minute songs, they're five-minute songs. And it is, if, if you're into... Like, I like post-rock, but I want it to be a little more uh, ambitious. This is the record for you. You know, none of their previous albums really connected with me all that much. And maybe this is just uh, kind of a last band sort of standing in this genre uh, phenomenon. But this one, um, yeah, I want to like hype this up. Because if you like this style of music at all, this is definitely a band that knows what they're doing. They've been doing it for a while. And this one is just the right amount of ambitious, but accessible. Um, and yeah, I, I, I recommend this one quite highly. You know, when you brought up Sunbather, just to go back to our band t-shirt conversation, it reminded me of the time where I was in a, a bar in Appleton, Wisconsin, mid-2010s. <laughs> there was a trivia night going on, and I was wearing a Deaf Heaven t-shirt. And a dude on the other side of the bar, saw me in the shirt, and he heckled me because he he's like one of those, like, uh, you know, I, I don't like... Metal hip- purists. Yeah, I don't like hipster metal type people. Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's a funny story. That's one of my funny band t-shirt uh, stories. Uh, anyway, my recommendation this week is a band from Michigan called Bonnie Dune. They put out a record this month called Let There Be Music. This is their... Third album overall, it's their first uh, in five years. Uh, they put out a record in 2018 called Long Wave. That's like around the time that I got on board with this band. There's a self-titled album from the year before. Uh, they had an interruption in their career uh, around 2020 when they were enlisted by Waxahachie to be the backing band for her landmark record, St. Cloud, and I believe they also went on the tour with her. So they haven't had a chance to do their own music for a while, but now they're back with this new album. And, you know, we had a reference earlier about patio music. I tweet a lot about, like, patio Hall of Fame albums. Well, Bonnie Dune is from a from an adjacent genre to that, which is cabin music. This band Ooh. sounds like they make music that was recorded at a cabin. I don't know for sure if that's true, but it sounds like it was. But it's definitely the kind of music that you want to put on if you're Heading up into the great north woods of the upper Midwest, of where I am a resident and Bonnie Dune, they're from there as well. Going up to your cabin, you want to put this music on. Uh, it's very 
warm and homey sounding folk rock. Uh, a lot of just kind of simple songs, very strummy guitars. They are not reinventing the wheel by any stretch of the imagination, but they're just really good at songwriting. They have a really good chemistry as a band, and it's just good vibes. Like, this record comes on, you instantly go to the fridge, you pull out a light domestic beer, uh, discount priced, you put it in a can koozie, you sit in like a patio chair, you watch the sun go down. That's what this record is. Let There Be Music, Bonnie Dune, The Cabin Rock Mm -hmm. Album of the Week. There are others, but this is the one you want to put on this weekend. Whether you're at a cabin or you you want to imagine that you're at a cabin. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to check this out. But, like, you know, when you talk about their last album, of course we got to, like, give a shout-out to the band Long Way. Exactly. We are are Tidal Wave fans over here. Produced by Dave Fridman in 2003. That is, yeah, classic, like the classic of the B-team, Meet Me in the Bathroom people. Yeah, Long Wave. Yeah, it's too bad, uh, you know, they didn't call this album The Stills. You know, that would have been cool if this record was called The Stills. or Or if Long Wave comes back and makes an album called Bonnie Dune. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much to, for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.